Well, good morning. <clears throat> Hopefully you have your outline. Everybody have a blue outline? <clears throat> it is very interesting to me how in America we are very concerned about purity in certain areas, but not in other areas. We are very concerned about the air that we breathe. We want pure air to breathe. And so we have the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, to oversee that. We want pure water to drink, and so we spend millions of dollars on water treatment and over $15 billion a year on bottled water. We want pure food to eat, and so we have the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, to oversee our food and drugs. Yet, we're not all that concerned about purity of mind. We will watch anything, no matter how perverted or twisted it is. We will listen to anything. We will laugh at anything. We are constantly being bombarded by a sub-biblical standard. There are thousands of abortions every year. Thousands of illegitimate children born. Thousands of people with sexually transmitted diseases. Thousands of people living together. It's all kinds of alcoholism and drug addictions. The Bible presents something very, very different from what we see in American culture. In 1 Thessalonians 4, says this, this is in the Living Bible, God wants you to be pure and to keep clear of all sexual sin. For God has not called us to be dirty-minded and full of lust, but to be holy and clean. As I was reading that verse, I was asking myself this question. Is this even possible in today's world? Is this possible in a world with the internet and TV and advertising and all kinds of books and magazines? The answer is yes, I believe that it is possible. And I'm going to tell you why. How many of you have ever gone deep sea fishing? Quite a few. That doesn't surprise me since we're not too far from the water. It is so interesting that you can catch a fish that has spent all of its life completely surrounded 24 hours a day, seven days a week by salt. And you prepare it to eat, maybe make fillets or something. And there's no salt inside of the fish. In fact, you probably even have to salt the filet to make it taste good. The same God that can keep a fish in salt water all of its life and the fish not be affected by it internally can keep your mind pure in a polluted world. And so we're going to take a look at six steps that we can take to keep ourselves pure 
in a very impure world. Now, step one, and this is the first step because it is the priority and it is the basis and the foundation for the five that follow. We can't do the next five until we do this one. So right up front is we have to make a commitment to God's standard. If you and I are going to stay pure in an impure world, we have to make a commitment that we're going to live by God's standard. In Psalm 119.9, there is this rhetorical question, how can anyone keep his way pure? See, I guess they were asking this question a thousand years before Christ, apparently. By living according to your word. So the first thing that you have to resolve in your mind is this. What is going to be the basis of my authority? Is it going to be the principles of God's Word or cultural standards? Now, God says a number of things in this book that are not very popular with people, especially when it comes to the area of sex. Why does He say these things? Because he knows more about it than you or I do. He understands the implications better than we do. And so he wants to help us and not harm us. So you have to decide when there's something that God asks you to do in the, in the Bible that is not popular or, or you don't understand, you have to decide what you are going to do. And if you are unwilling to make a commitment to God's standard, then you might as well close your Bible, pack your suitcase, and head to the beach because you are not ready to live pure in an impure world. And so the starting point to remaining pure is make a commitment to the standards of God's Word. It takes no courage at all to follow the world. It takes conviction and courage to do what God says is the right thing to do. And so the first step in remaining pure is we are going to have to make a commitment to live by the clear stated standards of God's Word. Okay, now if we've completed the first step, we're ready to move on to the second step, right? So here's the next thing. Manage your mind. Manage your mind. Now here's the bottom line. Every temptation begins in the mind. Would you agree? Right here. This is where it starts. Now the key passage with the principle is Proverbs 4.23. Be careful how you think. Why should we be careful how we think? Because your life is shaped by your thoughts. And then, Proverbs 23.19, keep your mind on what is right. Anytime you see somebody who is really messing up their life, it did not start with their actions. It started with their thoughts. 
They were thinking dumb things long before they started doing dumb things. Thoughts determine feelings and feelings determine actions. And so if there is an action or a bad habit that you want to change, do not focus on the habit. Did you just hear what I said? If there's a bad habit that you want to change, I don't want to do that anymore, do not focus on the habit. You focus on the thoughts that caused the feelings that brought about the bad habit. Now this is how a person falls into temptation. And this is exactly how affairs get started. A husband or wife does not come home one afternoon and say, Honey, I'm so, so sorry, but at three o'clock this afternoon I slipped into an affair. There were little chinks in the armor that started cracking a long time prior to that. Long before the physical act took place, there were little decisions that were made, and with each decision, the barrier was lowered slightly more. So here's how it basically works. Number one is accepting sinful thoughts into my mind. You start to think, what would it feel like to go to bed with that person? And you start fantasizing. And you may think that it's relatively harmless, but remember that thoughts produce feelings, and feelings lead to actions. So, avoid the sinful thoughts. You've heard the old expression, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but what can you do? You can prevent them from building a nest there. Two, is emotional, non-physical involvement. This is what is referred to as flirting. Now this, this point, this only, uh, this is only going to be for married people. If you're, if you're single and you're interacting with a single person, flirting is fine. That's part of the process. We're not talking to the non-married people. If you're married, you have to be very concerned about the non physical, emotional involvement. Because sometimes it's not, it's not what you say. It's certain gestures. Certain non-verbal things that within our culture can be communicated to a person without saying anything. And, and it, it basically with certain gestures, I'm available. Oh, you haven't said anything to anybody except non-verbally, I'm available. And you know why y'all are smiling? Because you know exactly what I'm talking about. And then three comes the physical involvement. And four is rationalizing my actions. There comes this rationalization period. Everybody's doing it. It's no big deal. We are consenting adults. 
In one verse, Paul tells Timothy how we can manage our minds. Now, this is an incredible passage, and I found this in the J.B. Phillips translation. This is 2 Timothy 2.22. Turn your back on lustful thoughts and give your positive attention to goodness, integrity, love, and peace. So basically, he's saying, I want you to turn back and turn forward. Now, if you will circle, turn your back. Now, the reason that phrase is so important is that it implies choice. You are making a choice. Listen, you do not have to give in to temptation. The key to resisting temptation is this. Replacing and refocusing. That's the key. Replacing and refocusing. Now, I am not going to ask for a show of hands on how many of you have ever tried to lose weight or are currently attempting to lose weight because it probably would be a pretty good pretty good number of us. But how are you going to handle this situation? On the table is a giant skyscraping ice cream sundae. And, uh, and it has that soft ice cream, the kind you put the spoon into, and the whipped cream on top. And, and maybe a cherry. And so here, here it is right on the table. So how are you going to, so you're going to come by like this. I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want it. Just one bite and I'll be, I'll be all right. The I don't want it method does not work. The sheer willpower does not work because you can only keep that up for so long and pretty much pretty soon when you let your hands off the steering wheel, the autopilot's going to take over again and you're heading right back the direction that you were coming from. So you have to replace and refocus. And I forgot to bring it in. I left it in my truck. I brought in a rice cake. I have a rice cake. That's what you're going to, you're what you're going to focus on instead of that. Cause I know y'all would just love one of those round little rice cakes instead of an ice cream sundae, right? But you get the principle when this is applied to life. You have to replace and refocus. And that's the idea behind the phrase, turn your back. You are refocusing. So manage your mind. Now, step three is monitor your media and Internet intake. Monitor your media and internet intake. Here's what I mean by that. Don't indiscriminately allow garbage to come into your mind through TV, internet, books, magazines, advertising, things like that. Here's the principle. Proverbs 15, 14. A wise person is hungry for truth while the fool feeds on trash. What is so amazing about this passage is that it was written 3,000 years before television. What you feed your mind is just as important as what you feed your body. Now, do you think that you could, you could live a healthy life on just sugar-filled drinks and Twinkies? <clears throat> it would be a beautiful way to go down, though, right? It would be beautiful. 
Well, Twinkies are the moral equivalent of network TV. Not a whole lot of nutritional value to it. You see, there are some foods that they taste wonderful and they feel wonderful going down, but the truth is they are basically filled with fluff and don't have a whole lot of actual essential chemicals that your body needs. Now, TV Guide did a survey, and I thought this was interesting. TV Guide had this. They said over the course of a year, prime time TV depicts approximately 16,300 incidents of sex, 28,000 uses of profanity, and 91% of all sex portrayed on TV is outside of marriage. Now, I am not your personal policeman. That is not my job. And I am not going to stand up here and tell you that you are going to have to give up watching reruns of Baywatch. That's not my job. You will have to make those kinds of decisions. The problem is that a lot of TV shows have no correlation with reality at all. TV says, basically, generally, that the only good sex is sex outside of marriage. But that's not true. There are thousands of very happy, fulfilled, satisfied couples. The problem is that our society focuses on the few marriages that aren't going well and sets those up as the standard for all marriages. Since when has Hollywood become the standard for relationships? So monitor your media intake and remember these verses. This is Psalm 101.3. I will refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. That's a thousand BC. Still good today. Psalm 119, 37. Keep me from paying attention to what is worthless. So my, so manage your media intake. And then number four, step four is minimize the opportunity for temptation minimize the opportunity for temptation. This means that you do your best not to place yourself in a situation where you know you are going to be tempted. If you don't want to get burned, you stay away from the fire. If you don't want to get stung by the bees, don't hang out by the beehive. Very simple principle. Sometimes applying it's a little bit more difficult. Now, there's three ways to minimize temptation. Number one is recognize what tempts you. Recognize what tempts you. Just as we all have a unique fingerprint pattern, we all have a temptation pattern that is unique to us. Of course, there's many similarities, but there's also some uniqueness to it. And the devil knows our weaknesses. In 1 Corinthians 10, 12, it says, So be careful. If you are thinking, oh, I would never behave like that, let this be a warning to you. 
for you too may fall into sin. He's saying be alert, be wise, be aware, know the early warning signs of temptation so you can bail out. Now there is a common myth that says the longer I am a believer, the less I'm going to be tempted. That's incorrect. Actually, the opposite is true. The longer you are a believer, the more the devil is going to throw at you. And so sometimes a person will say, well, I would never do anything like that. Given the right circumstances, most of us are capable of committing any sin in the book. So know your pattern of temptation. If you travel a lot, you'll just have to have some some uh, some guidelines to go by. Maybe you have to call home every hour or hour and a half. Maybe that'll add up a little bit on the bill. I don't know, but I see it as as an investment in your own personal purity. Put some kind of guidelines in place depending on what your areas of weakness are. Number two is you choose your friends carefully. We all know the passage in 1 Corinthians 15.33, do not be fooled, bad companions ruin good character. Let me ask you this question. Is it easier to pull someone up onto the stage or to pull someone down from the stage? Well, down, and of course, gravity is working with you when you pull down. But the principle is true morally. Is it easier to pull someone up to a higher moral level or to pull someone down to a lower moral level? Lower moral level, that's right. Now, many affairs occur between couples who already know each other. So make sure that your closest friends are as committed to their marriage as you are committed to yours because if if they're not committed, they're going to be looking to you. Because they already have a very basic relationship, a non-physical relationship with you. So choose your closest friends carefully. Make sure they have the general kind of value system that you have. And then three, establish some protective guidelines. I'm talking about with people of the opposite sex. Now this is Ephesians 5.3. I think this is an incredible passage. It says, but among you, among you Christians in the city of Ephesus, modern day Turkey, but among you, there must not even, must not be even a hit of sexual immorality. Now anybody can be accused of anything. And a person can be certainly wrongly accused of some things. Paul says as far as you are concerned and your relationship to other people are concerned, we don't even want there to be a hint of immorality. Now offices are great places for budding romances and and hot affairs. And that's because everybody looks good, smells good, and is talking fine. There's no place like an office for that. But you see, that's not reality. The reality is, it's a little bit different than that. Remember that the person in the office, when they get up in the morning, they don't look good either. 
Right? See, at the office, you look at a person, whoo, he's nicely dressed. And in the back of your mind, you're thinking of your husband at home with the beer belly and the holes in the t-shirt. And he's looking at this girl and say, that's one fine, fine looking lady. And in the back of his mind, he's thinking of his wife with the curlers in the hair in the morning. Listen, the truth, the reality is nobody looks good in the morning. And you've seen some of these supermodels. You know, they just think they're something the way, you know, they walk. And, but, and of course, they're usually pretty young, too. They got youth on their side. But let me tell you, when they get up in the morning, they don't look any better than anybody else. The only reason why they get to looking good is they have enough resources they can spend $150 every day on having somebody apply makeup. With that much money, you can make me look good. If you had three, $400, if you were willing to spend, we can make Will look good. <laughs> Nobody looks good in the morning. So don't let the devil play those kind of tricks on you. And then step five is manage your marriage. Manage your marriage. Manage my marriage. A growing relationship with your spouse reduces the pull and attraction of adultery. Now, I chose the word reduce on purpose. I did not say eliminate. I don't know if we can, you can eliminate it. But it reduces the pull and attraction of adultery. A good relationship at home. Ecclesiastes 9.9 says... Enjoy life with your wife whom you love. Now I want you to circle enjoy. It doesn't say endure. Yeah, some of the guys are going to. It doesn't say endure life with your wife. It says enjoy. And enjoy suggests you have to put some effort into the relationship. Now I'm going to tell you what happens. The problem is, after you get married, is you stop dating, you get too busy, and you lose the spark. That's basically what oftentimes happens. Now, women, ladies, I'm going to explain something to you about men. I'm going to talk to you about men for a moment. So I want the ladies' attention. There's some very basic things, one basic thing you need to understand about men. We are basically hunter-gatherers. I'm not talking about evolution. I'm just talking about that's how God created us. We are hunter-gatherers. What that means is we are goal-oriented. A man. A man is goal-oriented. We get a goal and we focus on the goal. Don't know anything about anything going on over here. Don't know anything about anything going over here. We just got this goal that we are working toward. So what are men, ladies? Hunter-gatherers, that's right, goal-oriented. Now, when a guy gets out of high school or college or tech school or learns a trade, at some point he usually makes this statement, I've got to get me a woman. <laughs> and that's the exact statement. It doesn't matter whether you live in Maine or Mexico or, or in Argentina, the statement is the same around the world, I've got to get me a woman. And it may be modified depending on the culture. And what are men? Hunter-gatherers. That's right, we're goal-oriented. And so now he's thinking, I've, I've got to get me a woman. So he finds a woman that is compatible. Okay. And he starts focusing on her, and all of his energy is going toward, toward winning her over. And this is called the wooing stage. 
And during the wooing stage, men do things that they would not normally do. Okay? I mean, he, he will read poetry to you. May even write you a poem. Okay, he'll do that. He'll, he'll, he'll go to the opera with you hand in hand like this. He'll have, you'll have long phone conversations and he will hang on every word that you say. Now, this is so fantastic that as a woman, you, you can't hardly resist. You've got to tell your girlfriends. I said, I have met this guy. He is awesome. And they're going to ask you, well, how do you know that he is so awesome? Because he reads poetry, goes to the opera with me, and has long phone conversations and hangs on every word I say. And the, the girlfriends say, ooh. You've got yourself a real man there. And so now she's thinking, I could spend the rest of my life with her. And so there is this agreement to marry. And as soon as the ring slides on his finger and you hear, I do, it changes. No, no, he still loves you. Don't misunderstand. He still loves you. He loves you just as much as he loved you before the ring went on the finger. It's just now he's reached the goal. Because what are men? Hunter gatherers. We are goal oriented. He has reached the goal. He now has you. He has caught you and captured you and has you in his arms. He has reached his goal. Now his perspective changes. He gets to think, I have a wife. And I'm going to have to provide for my wife. And then children are going to come along. And I don't mean to scare you if you're about to be a parent. Or you have small children, but this is from the United States Department of Agriculture, and you know they know their stuff down there at that department. To raise your child from birth to 18, not even including college. It's going to cost you $124,800, so get ready. And then when your child goes off to college, you will then be flat, busted, broke, like some of us are right now on the brink of bankruptcy. So he's thinking, I've got to make a living. And so he's gone at 7 in the morning, gets back about 7 at night. Now you, as a woman, you're still remembering all this dating stuff, and and you're thinking to yourself, where's the candy? Where's the flower? Where's the poetry? Where's the long phone conversation? And we haven't gone to any operas lately. And you feel like you have been somehow tricked. That it's been a bait and switch that has taken place. That this is not what you ordered. Now, the husband is thinking, after you get married, now he's he's busy and everything, and he feels like you've you've been getting pretty busy. He wants to know why why you don't have your hands all over him like you used to have your hands over each other when all over each other when you were dating. You remember when you were dating? Kind of go around the edges a little bit. All right. So he thinks, man, what's happened? She's not the same woman. Well, this couple was going to bed one night. And the husband leaned over and offered his wife an aspirin. And the wife says, uh, uh, what's this aspirin for? And the husband says, it's, it's for your headache, honey. And she says, I don't have a headache tonight. He said, caught you. So do you enjoy your spouse 
in spite of all of the problems and all of the finances, if we put as much energy into the marriage as we put into dating, there would be fewer marriages in court. Now take a look at this passage in 1 Corinthians 7. This is so incredible because it's it's like it was written yesterday. A husband should not deprive his wife of sexual intimacy, which is her right as a married woman, nor should the wife deprive her husband. Do not cheat each other of normal sexual relations, or you'll expose yourselves to the obvious temptation of Satan. Now, I'm going to share something with you that you can only get at Port City. You you go to any other church in town, and you won't get this kind of information. You only get it right here, Port City. They did some medical research on husbands. And they discovered that husbands like to make love on days that start with a T. Tuesday, Thursday, tomorrow, today, Saturday, and Sunday. So you just got the basics right there. Now, at the top of your outline, there is a book by Cliff and Joyce Penner. I don't, it, it, it may be at the top of your outline. It's called A Lifetime Prescription for Sizzling Sex. I just like the title. And it's uh, go to ChristianityToday.com, Amazon.com. Do you remember how you felt when you were dating? I mean, you could cut the sexual tension. And then you get into marriage and, you know, you're more or less just kind of surviving sexually. Well, they give some suggestions on how to keep the flame burning. Number one, they say you kiss passionately every day. Now, you know as well as I do that kissing is very sensual and sexual. In some ways, it can be more sensual and sexual than the physical act itself. They say that Kissing is the barometer of the state of your sexual relationship. Passionate kissing. Not, I'm not I'm talking like a, a, a peck, like you give your grandmother or something. And then keep open by sharing every day. Keep committed to sex despite all the distractions. Keep physically fit and groomed. Keep your sexual feelings turned toward home. Keep it scheduled. I read that. I said, well, that's all American. I got it on the schedule, right? Written right in there. I said, well, that's kind of strange. I keep like on a schedule or something. But actually, the principle is very good. Anything that is good is worth scheduling. And with a lot of things in life, if there isn't some kind of a, of a schedule process, then it's probably going to be ignored or it's not going to be done. And then keep sex positive. And, and what they mean by that is surprises are good. Now, last year, we spent about three months studying a book in the Old Testament called The Song of Solomon. It's a book about married love. And... I had a, a page, a verse by verse commentary. It's about a hundred pages. We don't have any more. That's the only outline that we ever ran out of. 
If you want outlines on Paul's belief about grace, uh, Paul's belief on the doctrine of sin, creation, evolution, we have bunches of those. All ones on sex are gone, I'm sorry. We could probably print some more. But Solomon's wife is this Shulamite woman. She's a real country girl. She grew up in the, in the vineyards in, in Lebanon, and she talks about how her skin was real dark from being out in the sun. She's just a real country kind of girl. And she marries the king. So she goes from King Solomon. She goes from a country girl out in a rural area to living in the middle of a palace with the richest guy in the world who had the biggest kingdom in the world at that time. Quite a change. So she misses. She misses the, the, uh, being back home. And so she says, Solomon, I'd like you to take, take me back to my home area of Lebanon. And do we have that passage? She says, this is what we're going to do. We will get up early and look at the vines to see whether they've started to grow, whether the blossoms are opening and the pomegranate trees are in bloom. There, I will give you my love. I'm not here to shock you. She says, we're going to make love outdoors. I am not going to ask for a show of hands of how many of you have ever made love outside. I'm not going to ask for that kind of, uh, we're not going to do that kind of survey. My only advice to you is if you choose to do it, choose the location well. You don't want some Boy Scout troop marching through the campground right in the middle of everything. So she says, we're going out on a spring walk. And while we're out, we're going to make love. And he says, you can smell the scent of mandrakes. Oh, you have to know a little bit about mandrakes. These aren't just like plants. They were thought to have powers of aphrodisiac. Aphrodisiac powers. That's the mandrakes. All right. You can smell the scent of mandrakes. And all the pleasant fruits are near our door, darling. I have kept for you the old delights and the new. Oh, we're not talking about fruit. She says we're going to do some of the same stuff that we've done sexually for the last few years, but then I'm going to show you some stuff you've never even dreamed of. You haven't even thought about what I'm about to do to you. I have old stuff, and I also have some new stuff. So the point is, I'm sorry if this embarrasses you. Talk to God about it. He wrote it. <clears throat> so it's right there. Keep it positive. Now, the grass may appear to be greener across the street at the neighbor's house. The grass is going to be greener wherever you choose to water it. You start watering your own yard, it's amazing how it greens up. Put a little, some of that 20-20-20 uh, on it, and man, you'll, you'll out, start out doing the neighbors. Just, I'm, I'm talking about in relationships, obviously. Relationships sometimes need a little fertilizer on it, okay? It only looks greener across the street. If you're over there, it's really not as green as it appears to be. So manage your marriage. How many of you, uh, is there going to be the possibility you're going to be reading the Song of Solomon this afternoon? All right, good. It's good. All right, step six is magnify the consequences of sin. Nothing damages your emotions more than sexual sin. So magnify the consequences of sin. This is <clears throat> Proverbs 
Anyone who commits adultery doesn't have any sense. He is just destroying himself. Proverbs 6, 26. <clears throat> adultery may cost you your life. Today, that can be literally true with AIDS and other sexually transmitted diseases. Hollywood has glamorized and sensationalized sex so much that it rarely shows the lives that it destroys. The truth is, <clears throat> when sex is not used, but it is abused or misused, it always has cost that we are unaware of. So it is much more than physical. And God simply wants to spare you this pain. So you make your own choices, you make your own decisions. Remember these three things. Number one, you love Jesus. <clears throat> Number two, you love your wife, your husband, your children. You don't want to, to hurt them. And three, you fear the judgment of God. There is a judgment for immorality. And Hebrews 13.4 says, For God will judge the adulterer and all sexually immoral. Now, God's standard has never, ever changed. And there are some things that are wrong, such as sex outside of marriage, and will always be wrong. And no one who has ever stood behind this stand has ever suggested in any way that we condone immorality. We condemn all sin that the Bible condemns. But the truth is this. If you have been guilty of some of these things, we want you to know that this is what Port City is all about. That this is a place for forgiveness and healing and restoration. And we want the rest of your life to be the best of your life. And so when we say we accept people where they are, we don't mean by that we approve of everybody's actions. We simply mean that we are here and the Lord is here to start to work with you where you are. So very quickly, here's the pathway back to purity. Number one is you repent. That simply means you change your mind. You say, Lord, you are right. I was wrong. Repent does not mean that you say, Lord, I am very sorry and I'm going to do the best that I can to phase this out over the next six to eight months. You don't phase out sin. Two is receive forgiveness. Remember that God is waiting to forgive you, cleanse you, and restore you. Three is refocus and replace. You start focusing on the person that you're married to. You start putting the energy into that relationship. And four is request help daily. Request help daily. And I'd like to end with this passage, 1 Corinthians 10.13. Remember that the temptations that come into your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will keep the temptation from becoming so strong that you can't stand up against it. When you are tempted, He will show you a way out so that you will not give in to it. The Bible says that no temptation is too great for you to handle. Will is going to lead us in an invitation hymn. And if you have a particular need, if, if we can pray for you, in some way, we would like to do that. If we can assist you, perhaps in being baptized, we'd like to assist you in that kind of way. If you have a need, 
please let us know what it is while we stand and sing.